Welcome to the Parent Ed Podcast by Focus on the Family Singapore. Family life can be crazy and chaotic, so join us as we figure it out together. Hello and welcome to the Parent Ed Podcast. My name is Aaron and I'm your host for this episode. In each episode of the Parent Ed Podcast, we'll be tackling questions that parents are asking about family life, parenting, marriage, work life, and much, much more. We'll be speaking with everyday parents and practitioners as they share with us their experience and practical ideas. We hope that you'll keep tuning in to learn with us and to grow personally in your journey as parents. Failures and setbacks are part and parcel of life. They teach us valuable lessons and critical life skills such as perseverance, tenacity and grit. And it gives us opportunities to bounce back stronger as a more resilient individual. But if failures are to be expected as part of one's learning and growing, why are our youth so afraid of failing? How can we create a healthier mindset towards failure in youth? And what do we need to develop mentally stronger youth? Here to explore this topic with me on today's episode is Matthew Liu. Welcome to the Parent Ed Podcast, Matthew, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me here. Would you like to start by introducing yourself to our listeners for us to get to know you and what you're currently doing? So my name is Matt. Those of you who are very active on Facebook, you might see this guy called Matthew Zachary Liu who writes really long posts on social media, a lot to do with the next generation. So the youths, kids in school, and also how parents can continue to support their children as they grow up. Because this is what I do. I used to work a lot with schools, but these days I work as a life coach, so very closely with families. Thanks for joining us today. In a 2019 study by the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, also known as the OECD, three in four Singaporean students responded that they were afraid of failure, which is higher than their global counterparts. In addition, Singapore has the highest percentage of students, about 78%, agreeing or strongly agreeing that when they fail, this makes them doubtful about their plans for the future. Now, on one hand, some youths use failure to propel forward to become a better version of themselves. Yet, on the other hand, some teens become immobilized by fears of failure and become reluctant to try new challenges. So, Matthew, you have interacted and worked with many youths. What do you think are some of the reasons for this mentality, especially here in Singapore, where students feel that they cannot afford to fail? I think, first of all, because we live in a society in Singapore that's very competitive from a really young age. Parents sometimes are like, oh, I need to get my kids like learning the alphabet at a certain age. Why isn't my kid like walking, talking by a certain age? And then there's the primary school balloting and all that. So it's always this competitive culture from society that transcends down to parents themselves and then even the children. And sometimes even if they don't actually explicitly say it, the children feel it. And that creates that fear, right? Because like, oh, I know my parents expect something of me. I know that they are wanting me to score a certain grade, go to a certain school, and I'm afraid I'll disappoint them. So I think this whole culture of like wanting the best, it's okay, but we also have to foster this mentality of like, sometimes things don't work out, but how can we cope with it? How can we learn from it? And just move on better from it. Because otherwise, like if success is the end goal and failure is not an option, then everyone else who falls between the cracks, right? They're not going to be able to move on when things don't go the way they plan it. Most of us have experienced failure, some sort of failure in our lives, right? And we are not immune to that. But I believe in this current generation, 
the narratives of success definitely have shifted over the years. In what ways do you see a holistic approach towards success these days? Like it's no longer just an academic success. It could be your strengths or gifts in other areas. So do you see that in use? And do they say that, yeah, I don't want to just pursue uh, academic success. I'm also pursuing other areas. I think it's slowly shifting, especially within schools, because it used to be very academic focused. But right now it is shifting towards like, hey, students have different strengths and they have different interests that they might want to pursue or that they could be gifted in. Some kids may be better at sports. Some kids are talented in the arts. Some kids, they like to game. And it's to really just let them know their options. But what a school is doing and what parents still believe it needs to meet in the middle. Otherwise, it's like kids say, I want to be a YouTuber, for example, and there are platforms, opportunities for them to pursue that. But then parents still step in and say, no, that's not what I want you to do. That's not a future for you. So I think it's shifting, but also parents need to evolve as well because the traditional mindset of like, oh, you need to be a doctor, lawyer, you need to be an engineer. Those are, yes, like society might think those are good jobs, but we are evolving and certain jobs that may have existed before, definitions of success may no longer apply in future because there'll be new jobs created and, and the kids need to grow into those roles. So many of our podcast listeners are parents and very often they tell us that they want the best, only the best for their children and what matters is their kids actually try their best. However, in wanting to motivate their child or to stretch them to reach their potential, parents sometimes use guilt, uh, shame or even anger right, to push them without realizing that what the child hears is no longer about the emphasis on the efforts but it's actually just the achievements at the end of the day. So what are your thoughts on that as a coach and mentor to young people? If you could convey what the teens want to say to their parents and in regards to maybe uh, success or even their parents' expectations, what will you tell parents? One of the things that I guess connects me with the youths is because when I was young, my mom is Korean by the way, so if you think that Singaporeans are very kiasu, right? Koreans are a whole different level because Koreans like your university admission exam, it's really a matter of life and death mm. because if you don't get into certain university, some students may just take their own life because that is the amount of pressure that they face from society. And even in Singapore's context, it's not that stressful, I would say, compared to Korea, but it's still stressful in the youths because sometimes parents, they will have this expectation and the expectation may be born from the fact that they want the best for their children because they didn't receive the best when they were growing up. So they say, now I can afford it. Now I have the means to support my child. I definitely want to give them the best. But at the same time, Sometimes parents have to take a step back and like, it's the best you want for your child, but what is the best for your child? What does your child want? Mm -hmm. And that conversation needs to happen because speaking to a lot of students that I've interacted with, in primary school, for example, there are three different levels, right? There are the high ability, mid ability, low ability. And I've noticed very different characteristics of each group. So the high ability students, very intellectual, very smart, go for a lot of tuition classes, but they've been conditioned to be so competitive that if they fail, first of all, they are afraid that they'll disappoint their parents. Secondly, they feel pressured because they are in a very high performing class where everyone is scoring AL1, AL2, and if they fall short of that, it's like, I'm a failure. I'm embarrassed to let my peers know that I failed, even though it's, it's still perfectly fine. Yeah. And the third thing about the high performing students is they feel like they need to always perform at a high level. And anything short is like, I'm not normal. Their benchmark of normal is they have to score distinction. Then those in the opposite end of the spectrum, those in the low ability class, 
The main thing that they lack is confidence. And actually, the stem of it is absent parenting sometimes. Because the parents are absent, parents are not involved in their learning, not involved in their growth. They make a lot of decisions that may not lead them on the right path. But very sadly, some parents don't care. And it's not just academics, but really not involved, don't care about the child's life. That's why they fall through the cracks sometimes. And as much as educators in school invest their time, effort, love into the kids, if they go home and that is absent, it will lead them into a path where like, they feel, I can't change my life because this is how my life is. Surprisingly, those in the middle, those in the mid-ability, maybe academics aren't that great. Maybe they're not exactly performing very badly. They're okay. Society would term them as average kids, right? But a lot of them are happy. And really when I asked some of the, these kids like, hey, your grades are okay, um, but how's things at home with your family? And they'll say, oh, like my parents, they spend a lot of time with me. We have very open communication. I know they love me. They spend time with me. And I think that is key, like spending time with your children. Because those in the high performing classes, for example, parents may not spend time, they spend money. And that's their way of like, I'm showing you love, I'm giving you the best by sending you for more tuition classes, by buying you more assessment books. But that's not love. That's not how your child is receiving and perceiving love. Those who admit ability, they have time with their parents and they grow up okay. Like even though they may not be classified as like the best students in school, but they turn out the best actually, holistically. I think you've just expressed probably even some of the concerns that parents are thinking, you know, what can I do, right? And perhaps it's just the time with the kid, with your child. But then, okay, if I spend time with my child, how then do I foster or improve my conversations with them? Because I've not done it before or I'm not very good in conversations. And now, you know, because you're a life coach, you're experienced in this, but I'm not familiar. How then um, do you want to encourage parents to have those conversations? Okay, I'm probably going to say something very controversial, right? But like one thing that sometimes I feel that parents perhaps need to think about even before they have a child is, are they ready to commit? Because maybe it's this Asian mentality of like, oh, the rite of passage is like, we get married, we get a house, we start a family, we have our own kids, and this is how the Singapore life cycle works, right? But if you're not ready to bring a kid to this world and commit to, to it for a lifetime, bringing a child up, then don't have a kid because it's unfair to the child. Maybe it's also for some parents a step that they're not ready to take. And then they start to realize all these things when they have a child. And then if parents do decide to bring a child to the world, then you need to commit that time. And the crucial period, I believe, is when the child is growing up. Because as the child grows up, even before they enter primary school, if the parents are not involved in their life, if you give them a gadget, if you hire a helper, if you just put them at your parents' or in-laws' place, then it's like, where are my parents? And if you miss that opportunity to bond with them as they're growing up, the gap is going to grow even wider. And as they enter secondary school, they'll be very influenced by their friends. And that will be the biggest challenge for parents because that's where I cannot communicate with my child. The children will feel like, my parents, they don't understand me because that was not fostered while the child was growing up. So I think for parents to really like connect with your child first is, as they're growing up, spend quality time with them. Quality time also is, for example, family dinner or sometimes when you're eating out, right? It's not surprising to see like, you could walk to any restaurants, whole family sit down together, and you know what, what the scene might be? 
using their gadgets. Exactly. And, Everyone yeah. is out with their like phones and gadgets and just mm. sitting quietly on the table. That is not family bonding. That is just like we're physically there with each other, mm. but we're not having meaningful connections and conversations. So I think parents could start that by being an example themselves. If they say no phones on the table, they really have to put aside their phones as well and intentionally start conversations that might be awkward at first because it's not a norm that they communicate so openly. But if you start, you build on it, it gets better. Mm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Because you wouldn't know, right? Until you start having those conversations. I believe even for parents who say that, yes, I am committed. I am now willing to spend that time with my child. There's always that inertia to combat. And once they start going at it, practicing those you know, conversation starters in a sense, it only can get better, right? If you practice. What can parents then do, right? If they say, okay, now I'm committed to engage my child. I'm spending time with them. How can I help my child have a healthy mindset towards failure? Because, you know, we, we always aim towards success, right? We don't talk about failure. In fact, failure sometimes is a taboo word. How then can we have those conversations about what it means to fail and to fail perhaps in a safe place? Because, you know, it should be communicated that it's okay. Okay, is it okay to fail? I think it's a fine line, right? Because it goes extreme, like for some who are high achievers, like all they know is how to succeed and to go even further, um, which might be a bit sensitive, you know, some of the students who perform really well and then they go on to better schools and all that. And then they face failures, perhaps in JC, when they don't do so well for their promo exams or even A-levels, some of them take it really hard. And because they've been conditioned to succeed, succeed, succeed all the way, and suddenly they face what is to them failure, they take extreme measures. And sometimes the extreme measures are irreversible. Mm -hmm. And I guess for every parent, it's not something that you want to push your kids to the edge where they cannot handle that, they cannot cope with that. But also on the other end of the spectrum, there are kids who like, I failed, and then parents say, it's okay, you've tried your best. Then they take it literally, right? And like, oh, okay, like I feel my parents say I tried my best, that's my best all, I cannot do it even better. So I, I think it's a very fine line, knowing how to hold back sometimes, knowing when to push your children sometimes, but it really comes down to having that conversation. Like Myro as a life coach, sometimes parents will say to me, you know whatever I want to convey to my child, it's like you say the same thing to them, but they'll listen to you and they won't listen to me. And it's the same with any like third party intervention sometimes. And the reason is because the kid perhaps feel that I listen to them and they feel connected. And when you show them that respect, you create that space, you allow that conversation to happen for them to be open about their, their fears, their aspirations and all that, then they will start to tell you more things. But sometimes parents wanting the best for their child may tend to shut them down really fast or may dismiss their concerns or their fears or, or their challenges. So for example, if a child comes back, didn't do well for a test, parents' first reaction might be like, I spent so much on your tuition. Why are you still failing? Why are you not doing well? Why you get one mark less than the full marks and things like that? And then it really like plants this thought and fear into your child that I cannot perform below my parents' expectation. And subsequently, if they don't do well, they hide things from their parents. And as they grow to become teenagers, it's not just the test grades, but everything, all their interactions, communications on your phones and all that, parents won't know what they're doing. And parents won't know what's happening. And I think talking about failure, Another controversial statement I might say, perhaps that's failure on the parent's part. Have the parents failed their child? It's not like, have your child failed you? Have you as a parent failed your child? So in a sense, there's an assessment of how we are parenting. 
uh, assessment of conversations, the quality of conversations, and perhaps even just being able to embrace our child for who they are, right? Matthew, I'm curious, what got you into life coaching or at least working with young people? I would say my own mom, actually, because, uh, I mean, I was just sharing with you before this conversation happened that my mom is Korean, right? And then I think at the start, I said, like, the Korean standard is really high. And my entire childhood, so to speak, was sort of, like, dictated by my mom. She had all these plans, expectations that I had to live up to. And then PSLU, right? Uh, I didn't ex- exactly get the score that allowed me to go into the school that she wanted. And that set me on a different path. But through secondary school, then I found my strength. And then I said like, okay, I want to pursue this direction, which is media. And then when I went into the media and talking about success and failure, I was doing pretty well. At a very young age, I was already like doing a lot of pretty significant events, doing pretty well in the media. But then I failed. My encounter with failure was like, we study, we work hard. We think that that is our passage to success, right? But I didn't know like, Life and reality works different ways because people could be mean. Things may not go your way. The higher you climb, sometimes people are out to to topple you or to do, say, whatever things to you. And I was not prepared for that. And I was very affected by that. Being in the media industry, being exposed to all these, at a pretty young age still, it almost destroyed me. And I wasn't just affected, I was depressed. At one point, I was even suicidal because how do I deal with this? No one has taught me how to deal with all these failures, challenges, obstacles, criticism. And I realized I was still only 20-something, early 20s, right? And then it hit me that this was not an environment I want to be in. And that's why I left the media industry because I felt that it was a very toxic place and I couldn't deal with this. How I ended up working with youths and now families is because I actually accidentally ended up like working with students, right? It was just one day, one of my friends was like, hey, you're not doing anything now, right? Wanna like teach kids and all this. So I was like, okay, like I can teach them how to be bad <laughs> because that was my background. I meant it as a joke, but when I stepped in the very first class, they, they were really, really lovely kids. And kids at a certain age are very impressionable. And if you mold them right, if you educate them right, there is hope for them. Yeah, but if they're in an environment or even a system that constantly puts pressure on them, they turn out differently. So that's when I realized there's so much that we can do, there's so much that we can actually shape them so that, hey, the next generation really, they are the future and we can play a part in that. So that was my transition. I think it really stems from my mom setting a certain expectation on me. I didn't I didn't turn out the way my mom wanted me to turn out. I had my own path that I, I pursued. It didn't work out and I realized certain things. And then now working with the generation and the families and through all these challenges that I face is really to put it into lessons for the kids and the family to learn that, hey, like I've taken these paths, this is how it turned out. So like, maybe you want to look at it in a different way so that your path could be better. Yeah. So Matthew, what helped you in your journey, especially perhaps your healing as well and your emotions? I think being authentic and being honest with our feelings because in the Asian context, that's not widely accepted, right? It, it is changing. People are having conversations about mental health and all these things. But I guess when you and I, when we were in school, if you say you're depressed, it is like, what's wrong with you? You think you're some suicidal emo kid and, and stuff like that, right? But now it's normalized now, right? Um, if you say you're seeking therapy, you're going to a counselor, that, that is fine and all that. So the first people that I opened up to were actually not even person. I write a lot. So writing was my healing. And I think social media was really just starting at that point in time. And while I was struggling, I was just writing to reflect on my feelings as a way of coping. But when I wrote 
what I was going through, surprisingly at that time, people resonated with that. And people were like, I feel the same. I never had the courage to like speak about all these issues. And then I realized, hey, actually a lot of us are struggling with similar issues, but we don't talk about it openly. And it goes back to the conversation of like, we're afraid of how people will judge us. We're afraid of being labeled as a loser, as a failure, as an emo kid or whatever. So we just portray this image of like, my life is perfect, this ideal of success, and we don't want people to see what is real. And I mean, social media is everyone projects the best side of our lives. No one shows the real side of what's really happening. So it's okay to not show the best or the worst side, but like at home with family, real conversations need to happen. It doesn't have to happen on social media. It doesn't have to happen in other platforms, but it needs to happen at home. Because if everything else fails, if they don't have a support in school, if they don't have support within their peers, they need to feel the love and support at home. Otherwise, if that's their last line, right? And if all these other factors fail, they'll take the irreversible way out of life. Thanks, Matthew, for taking time to share with us your journey and even the tips for the parents who are listening in. Before we wrap up today's episode, uh, do you have any words to share with our listeners? I guess at the end of the day, and, and this was part of my journey with my mom, I realized growing up that my mom, she parented me the way that she did was because she modeled after her own parents who were Koreans. My granddad was a chauvinist. My granddad was like, rule the household with an iron fist. It's like my way or like you get out of the house, the kind of Korean method, right? So my mom modeled after him. Then when she had myself and my two siblings, she parented us the same way because that was the only way she knew how to. Um, so to parents who might want to break that cycle and you want the best for your kids, it's perfectly valid. But sometimes we need to also ask our kids, like, what do you want for yourself? How can I help you? So it's a journey that parent and child goes through together. And at the end of the day, the child feels safe. The child wants a certain definition of success. The parents have a certain expectation. They can meet in the middle. If they face challenges, if they face failure, they are supported, they are encouraged. It's not the end of the road. And it's a constant journey that parent and child are growing together. It's not just through school. Eh? It's like now, right, I have conversations like when my parents are like, hey, how to do taxes, how to plan your family, how to buy a house, and then they give me advice. So it's a very open conversation we have right now. And I think it's a beautiful journey that all families can go through once that communication is established. Thank you once again. To all our listeners, thank you for tuning in to this episode. We hope that you have benefited from today's conversation, Matthew. To be more confident actually, and to have more ideas on how you can help and support your teen in all seasons. To find out more on parenting resources, do check out our website at family.org.sg. We hope that you can share this podcast with other parents who may benefit from this episode as well. Do follow and subscribe and catch us on our next episode of the Parent Ed Podcast. Until next time, have a great week with your family. Thank you.